0: Hi, it's Gabby great to have you join me for another episode of the my possible self podcast my possible self is the mental health and wellness app that is free to download backed by the NHS and uses only the best in clinically certified content to help you manage your own personal mental health journey February is International Boost Your Self-Esteem Month and all month we have been tackling some of the areas in which self-worth and self-esteem can be compromised and today to wrap up our mini-series we are looking at the unbearable pressures forced upon us during our childbearing years. So let's start by clarifying what is the childbearing age. Technically, women can get pregnant and bear children from puberty when they start getting their period to menopause when they stop getting it. The average woman's reproductive years are between ages 12 and 51. So that's almost 40 years of worrying about can I have children? Do I want children? Should I have children? Am I getting too old to have children? I can't find a partner. What happens then? Will I disappoint my loved ones if I don't reproduce? Do I need to freeze my eggs? Can I afford to have IVF? I've had a child, am I selfish if I don't want to give them a sibling? I'm just scratching the surface here, as you know. And then there's the insane amount of pressure there. I'm sorry, dads, but we're zooming in on mums for this episode. The pressure of raising your child, quote unquote, the right way. Do I breastfeed? Can I breastfeed? Does it make me less of a mother if I don't? Is it so easy snapping back into my pre-baby body? What if I can't? My kid won't eat. My kid won't sleep. How do I juggle going back to work? Can I go back to work? I could go on, but you get the idea. Today's guest, DJ, model, presenter, social media influencer and reality TV star, Ashley James, knows all about the pressures put on us by society, loved ones and even ourselves when it comes to the childbearing years. And she has a lot to say on the subject, which should bring some comfort, reassurance and helpful advice to help quieten the noise and remind you that we are all entitled to our own journey here. There is no right or wrong and a full life is the life you choose to live. So let's proceed with the episode. Welcome, Ashley James, to the My Possible Self podcast. Really thrilled to um, be doing an episode with you. I've got quite a lot to um, to dig into. I want to start with a very brief synopsis of you so far, model, presenter and DJ, Rose to fame for being on the TV show Made in Chelsea. You're also on Celebrity Big Brother, social media influencer, podcast host of Mum's the Word. You I think will agree with me on this that perhaps your most important work has been in regards to social commentary that you have like openly discussed in regards to women who are in the childbearing years. So I thought it would be great if we could start there.
1: Yeah, amazing
0: cool
1: it's nice to hear someone else like introducing you but it's, it's interesting yeah because I feel like I'm I'm obviously like a really new mum and mm-hmm. uh, I don't feel like I've been like particularly aspirational at all I just feel like I've been like honest in like my experiences in the highs and the, and the lows and yeah it'll be interesting to talk about it because I feel like I've talked about social commentary and you know like issues around particularly feminism and empowerment, for a long time. And I was shocked when I became a mum at just how much like internalised misogyny I had about the whole thing. So it's almost been like a bit of a rebirth for myself and and yeah it's really interesting so I'm excited to chat about it.
0: Well I think you've been like refreshingly honest throughout and I wanted to start before I know I know that you're a mum now but you've been very pro-independent women you've spoken candidly in the past about um, not wanting kids or not being ready to have children if we could just start with the pressure that women are put under when we are of a childbearing age it's absolutely huge isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's so funny, and I think the pressure comes even from people that love us and support us. I remember when I was about 27, so I'm 34 now, when I was about 27, um, my mum sat me down and was like, actually, if you move back up north, you could probably find someone and have children. You'd be probably quite famous up here. And I was like, oh, thanks, mum. Like, I was like, "It's not. I'm not single and on my own. Because, well, I couldn't find anyone compatible, yes, but I was like, I don't want children. And also like, I was like, I'm I'm fine. I don't think I need to like move up north and settle just yet. I'll let, I'll let you know if I change my mind and, you know, I feel like there's all these like subliminal messaging that we're given or more direct messaging that we're given as children that like life is over at 30 mm-hmm. and, um, you know I grew up thinking like oh I want to get married and have children before I even really like thought about it much it was just like well that's mm. what people do when they're older and I always thought like when I'm older I'll have children and then you know I was getting older and older and older and um, I was 32 when I met my partner Tom and actually he was really open about the fact he wanted a family and I remember saying to him like oh maybe I'm not the right person for you because I just can't guarantee that I want that really? and obviously like, also I didn't know if I was able to have that either but obviously like fate put everything in place as it was as it was meant to be and now we've got Alf and I would never like obviously mm-hmm. take him back like he's amazing but mm-hmm. I still think there is like a really valid and reasonable argument for not having children and I think you can still live like such a complete life and it actually breaks my heart when I speak to whether it's friends or um people online you know people as young as like 24 25 being like I feel really left behind because I haven't met someone yet and I'm like you're so young like my best year I mean my best years were ahead of me but my best years were like when I got to 30 after getting over that panic and almost like mental breakdown I had at the thought of turning 30 and then I just embraced it and I embraced like my single relationship status and it was amazing and I think you know whether you're single or whether you're in a relationship that doesn't guarantee happiness on either side because there's Mm -hmm. lots of people in relationships that are unhappy but the idea that you should settle down if you haven't met the right person by like late 20s 30 like Mm -hmm. as a mum now I couldn't imagine doing this with someone that isn't a good partner for me
0: yeah because I think a lot of people still do that don't they they just like the, the clock is ticking so they will settle with somebody that they're you know maybe not in love with just because they feel like they've got to get cracking. And I'm I'm actually using a phrase my mother, speaking of mums, has said to me, you know, many times, well, come on, the clock is ticking, you better get cracking. Just like, you know, she's saying you better hurry up and make breakfast, like it's that easy.
1: Yeah, and do you know what? I think it's really interesting because even this, like, concept of the clock is ticking, let's say, for example, that every woman, which we know isn't true, every woman became was completely fertile and then they reached, let's say, 35 or 38 and then that's it we know that's not true but let's say that's the case at 27 you've still got seven years we feel like 27 to 35 is such a like. oh my god it's closing in it's closing in but actually yeah. uh, like i don't even really recognize the person i was three years ago and also this statistic that i feel like we're always you know tick tock clocks ticking this is um the statistic that we're always quoted is that one in three women between 35 to 39 will not get pregnant, even after a year of trying. But the source of this data mm. um, is from French births between the years 2670 to 1830. So when you think about that, there was no antibiotics, there was no electricity, there was no fertility treatment. They're probably like the average age for women to survive was like 60 max. Now the average life expectancy for a woman in the UK is 84. So when you think that if you're 27 or you're 30 or you're 35, like you're thinking of settling down with somebody for more than double of the rest of your life, it's just like this like crazy concept. And actually like going back to like statistics, there are more than 2000 babies a year born to mums over the age of 45 and I think we always have this like fear of like what will happen if you don't have children and regretting it but personally Mm -hmm. I would be more scared of having them and regretting it and I feel like both of those are really valid conversations Mm -hmm. but it's also not you know it's this concept of like you're left on the shelf or you haven't settled down yet but it's like it takes two people like regardless of your sexuality it takes two people to want to be together Mm -hmm. and you know like women in let's say the 50s 60s 70s they couldn't buy a house get a job have a mortgage open a bank account until the late 70s i think it was without a partner a male partner specifically and like now we have the freedom we don't need like to have a partner and of Mm -hmm. course if you want children like but there's people in relationships that might not be able to have children and i think we need to start talking more about fertility because fertility actually isn't so much about age yes of course it's harder as you get older but um i've had a few friends who have um, gone to get their fertility tested and some have amazing fertility for their age and some really don't have good fertility for their age and you know i think if we started to open that conversation more it would take this like invisible Mm. clock is pressure off us because it's it's so different for every person and
0: yeah that's a really good point because then you know if you are getting older should we say but then you get your fertility tested and you find out that you're very fertile that's just a weight that could be that you could be carrying around unnecessarily but also on the flip side if there are problems better to address them earlier because then it might be a bit easier to find a a solution perhaps if, if you really want kids
1: yeah exactly yeah
0: exactly but I love the fact that you do support as well women you know that don't want to go down that route i mean i've had conversations with people about that judgment of if you're a woman and you don't have kids that your life is somehow not as full or as rich as a woman that does which is really hurtful
1: yeah and i remember my dog snoop um he's a toy poodle he's seven now he i always call him my firstborn and i love him like the love i have for that dog like There's nothing like it. Honestly, I've never experienced love like it. And funnily enough, even when I gave birth, I still remember thinking (laughs) because I was like, this is going to be it. This is the moment, the moment that everyone told me, like, wait until you have your own child. Like, wait for that moment. They put him on your tummy for the first time, like the love you feel. And I remember being like, oh. Like and I had this real sense like I just want to get home to Snoop because I've been <laughs> out of the house for like two days by that point and I was like, I just really miss Snoop. And of course I love Alf now and yeah. like the love for me is like growing and growing and growing. But I didn't have that like love at the beginning. And it wasn't because I had postnatal depression, because I feel like often you're told, Oh, well, if you don't feel that, because I, I was so I was so pleased that the labour was over. I was so grateful that he was here and healthy and that I was healthy but it wasn't I remember thinking like people used to say to me when I would talk about how much I love my dog they'd be like oh, I'm just waiting to have children and I remember being like it's such a patronizing to, thing to say that you don't know what love is of course yeah. everybody knows what love is without children like it might be a different type of love like now you know that I'm watching Alf grow and I'm seeing mannerisms in him that might be like mine or Tommy's or my grandparents it's it's so like lovely to see but I still know what love is and if I hadn't have had him I would still know what love is and also motherhood is it's the most difficult thing that I've ever done and when I used to say I didn't want children I would either be told that it was a selfish way of thinking or I'd be told that I would change my mind and Mm -hmm. I mean, I I didn't necessarily change my mind, but circumstances changed my mind and that I got pregnant and I chose to keep the baby because I was in like a happy, healthy relationship. And I believe in like the fate in the universe. Mm -hmm. And I'm pleased that I made that decision. But I hate the fact that women are dismissed as being selfish or that, you know, it's not it's not a feasible lifestyle choice to be child free. And I'm using the word child free and not childless because I think it all kind of adds mm. to this feeling that you're not complete. And in the first year of motherhood, I hit like a real slump. I think like my mental health started to decline around four months. But bear in mind, I was also a mum in a pandemic, so lots of people will have experienced similar things. That your, you know, life changes so much when you become a mum, and you have like all this like psychological and identity crisis, and then mm. add a pandemic into it, where everyone's lives had already changed so much. I used to like sit up at night thinking like, what have I done? I've made this awful decision and I hate it. I hate motherhood. And I would Google in the night, like, does anyone else regret motherhood? And it turns out loads of people regret motherhood and loads of people struggle with it. And you're not allowed to talk about it and if you do talk about it you're selfish how dare you you've got children do you you should be so grateful to have children because lots of people don't have children and how like you and i remember thinking like this feels a bit unfair for women like we're selfish if we don't want children if we have children and we talk about the difficulties of it then that's selfish it feels a bit like boris johnson's um like covid lockdown speech (laughs) of like have children but don't have children if you have children don't work but if you work like women actually can't win and you know we're expected to go back to work if we want to as if we don't have children and you can't really talk about children because you're there to do your job but then if you don't want to go back to the office I don't know there's just like a lot of like nuance that actually like we need to support lots of different dialogue Mm -hmm. um, and you can be grateful for what you have and for the opportunity to be pregnant and to have a baby because i have lots of friends who are on fertility journeys but you can still find it hard Mm, and you you should still be allowed to say that it's hard
0: yeah oh absolutely and we're in february and that's international boost your self-esteem month so i wanted to ask you about um and you kind of touched on it a little bit just then but if if we start with like your pregnancy in terms of like self-esteem i think you quite enjoyed your pregnancy journey actually but i know a lot of women don't and they find it really really hard but how was it for you in terms of like your self-worth your self-esteem i know as well lockdown couldn't have helped
1: yeah i think um in the beginning i found it really hard and i think almost before i got the bump because i was like bloated and tired and sick and nauseous um so that definitely um impacted my self-esteem and obviously your clothes are starting to get tight but you don't quite know if you want to spend money on new clothes because you don't really know like how to buy clothes I think there's this um sort of like idea that pregnancy clothing is frumpy like maternity clothing is quite frumpy and I think that's a big part of identity as well if you know you are into like your fashion and you you want like to still feel like yourself it's like suddenly you're you don't want to wear like flowery big dresses and mm-hmm. um so yeah, I think that plays a big part in it like I always say like lingerie is like the greatest way to boost your self-esteem and it's not about other people seeing it but if I'm if I'm wearing like matching lingerie and I'm feeling and looking amazing I just feel so much more confident and, you know, wearing clothes, like in colors that suit you, like just so that that when you're, when you're feeling good, it's easier to like embrace yourself, I think. Yeah. Um, but pregnancy, once the bump started to grow, I was actually like totally in awe of, of my body. But what I did really struggle with was, um, like my boobs getting bigger because I've always spoken quite openly about like my sort of, um, journey to accepting my body with boobs, because I had them from, you know, as young as 13, I think I was like a double D or an E. The messaging was always like, cover up, you're distracting the teachers, boys, you're, you know,
0: yeah,
1: you're attracting attention, cover up, cover up, cover up. So I was made to feel my whole life like my body was something to be ashamed of, like other girls can wear that because they don't have cleavage, like you must cover up, like that's not an appropriate outfit to wear. And so then in pregnancy, when I was told, I went to get fitted and I was told that, oh, there's no point in buying a bra that fits because your boobs will probably go up five sizes more. And I remember that just like haunted me. And I was like, I was so upset about it because I already found it so hard to like dress to feel good and to strike that balance because for whatever reason, people do judge women's bodies and like the sexuality and morality all plays a part in like your boob size, which is ludicrous trying to look after yourself like for self like self-care you know like taking time to like have nice baths massage your belly also following lots of different types of body shapes online because like if you're on social media like don't forget you can curate your feed if you're Mm -hmm. only seeing one type of pregnant person unfollow the ones that make you feel bad and you know it's not their fault that they make you feel bad so you you don't have to like troll them or tell them or anything because like everyone has their like personal battles but I love seeing like different body shapes and sizes and colors and not just pregnant bodies or postnatal bodies but everything and I feel like then you remember that beauty is actually not just one thing and I love seeing like even things that we're told are flaws like cellulite stretch marks I think that's what It's part of like our tapestry. I always say stretch marks for me feel like a free tattoo from Mother Nature. Like I love, (laughs) I love like the fact that I've got like marks and the only reason there are things like stretch mark cream is because there's somebody out there profiting off making you feel insecure about your body that you need to buy this cream. So um, I think that's a big part of it. But in terms of like once I had the baby and self-esteem, I think that's a lot harder because people, when you talk about, confidence and body confidence and self-love people think it's like a vanity thing that it's just about how how you look right. you, but actually like for me when you know i i i suffered with like prolapse and incontinence and piles and when you get pregnant your nipples get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because I think the idea is that babies can like really see where they need to feed <laughs> um, and all of those things play such a big part psychologically but and then on top of the fact that your your old clothes don't fit and it's like being in a stranger's body almost right um, and I I really struggled with that and especially because the narrative is so much around weight and I actually think it's a bit sick that a woman. Uh, or person's body has just done this amazing thing and yet it's boiled down to like your weight because there's so much more to it I think you know just for me the big thing is trying to remember that sexiness confidence happiness comes in all shapes and sizes and it's not just about shrink but it's not at all about shrinking yourself in any respect and that really helped me. And also throwing away or putting into storage clothes that don't fit because there's nothing worse than waking up every morning and going to a wardrobe and having to try and clothes that don't fit. And it's a little bit like, you know, if shoes don't fit us, we don't blame our feet. There's a quote that says that. I think it's really true. I like like We're not going to be like, why won't my feet fit in these size four shoes? We're just going to buy shoes that fit. And that's kind of how we need to start seeing seeing clothes for our body like yeah. you know we aren't meant to fit into clothes clothes are meant to fit on us
0: yeah I remember my um my cousin's now wife when she they had their first kid and it was I, I don't even think the bubba was more than a month old and I said to her and, and actually thinking about it now maybe I shouldn't have even commented but I was like surprised at how she'd like popped back she was very petite already and I said oh my gosh you're like you wouldn't have known that you'd A month ago, had a child, and she said, "Oh no, no, I've still got like seven pounds to go." I'm sort of thinking about that now, and it it's on me. I probably shouldn't have said anything, but I I guess I did expect still a bit of a bump, and should have been more informed. But also, her reaction was very much like, "Oh no, 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 I've still got like weight to lose," kind of thing as well. So, yeah, I think it's really important, and we should probably talk about this more.
1: Yeah, and I think so. It's that idea, like I don't weigh myself because I think. You know what is a number on the scale like? It should be like how we feel, and are we eating healthy? And you know, I like I I, I really struggle with the idea that someone's just had a baby and they're looking at that number on the scale, and it break, it actually like breaks my heart a little bit. But it's also like this idea: is our ideal body goal or like the ideal weight that we want our body to be? Is that our healthy weight? Because you can lose weight and actually like when i've been my thinnest it's probably when i've been my unhappiest and Mm -hmm. it's usually triggered by a breakup or like you know needing to control something because i'm not happy and it's and it's also probably not healthy and there's this Mm -hmm. idea that you know we hear all the time like people judging people who are in bigger body frames as being unhealthy as in Mm -hmm. like if we saw someone really skinny eating a burger we're not going to tell them that they're like promoting obesity. But if we see someone in a bigger body eating a burger, they're like, oh, they're glamorizing obesity. But actually Mm -hmm. like if everybody ate the same, we would still all have different body shapes. So I think it's just really important to remember that like your health is not a number Mm on a scale. It's not about shrinking yourself. Um, and like for me it's it's about it's about a feeling and it's about moderation and the thing with like postnatal bodies is I I wish there was like more understanding that there is so much more than weight because also a lot of people do as much as I hate this expression like snap back Mm -hmm. like whatever that means but it, it they also feel shame and embarrassment I've got friends who literally just went back to how their body looked before really and they were like embarrassed to show their body off on social media because people were saying you know oh you're not a positive role model and Mm. that that is just their body or their metabolism or you know that is that is just what happened but it it doesn't mean they weren't like battling with piles or prolapses or incontinence like I feel like how you look and your appearance is just the tip of the iceberg of your recovery and actually a lot of people lose weight because they might like have depression or they might be sleep deprived or they might be like really stressed and exhausted and yeah. so therefore then to be celebrated for that because we do don't we, We're like oh my god you look great like yeah. you said you yeah. went Oh, you don't even look like you've had a baby and it's almost like rewarding weight loss and weight loss weight loss isn't always a healthy thing and in the same way that weight gain isn't always a negative thing like lots of people gain weight because they've maybe overcome an eating disorder or they're like yep. getting back to a healthy weight so um yeah I think you know it's hard because we were all brought up in the same sort of society that puts so much glamour on weight loss yeah. and being thin yeah
0: we we've just been completely conditioned haven't we and, and just kind of taking the thread uh, when you mentioned some sort of mental health illnesses um, in regards to like mental health and pregnancy, according to the Royal College of Psychiatrists, depression and anxiety, are the most common mental health problems in pregnancy, affecting about 10 to 15 out of every 100 pregnant women. You've spoken openly about suffering from anxiety. so And it sounds, I mean, again, we had a pandemic thrown on top, but like, did pregnancy heighten your anxiety? Because anxiety finds things to feed off, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, actually, I feel like not in my pregnancy, like in my pregnancy, weirdly, and bear in mind, I really enjoyed my pregnancy, and lots of people don't enjoy their pregnancy, and both are like perfectly valid because I feel like, you know, everyone has different things that they're like going through, whether Mm -hmm. it's like pains and aches in their bodies or, you know, things that they're worried about. I was actually really excited to give birth, I was excited to have a baby. I love like spontaneity. So, for example, I love like Going, I used to love going solo traveling and I wouldn't plan my journey like I would just jump on a plane and off I went and that's kind of how I saw becoming a mum. like you know I didn't feel a need to like read every single book and be overly prepared whereas some people read every single book and like right. my partner was one who read loads of books and that's great and I feel like there's no right or wrong way and it's whatever empowers you and whatever makes you feel good but I think my anxiety kicked in more when Um, I'd had ALF after about four months and they say actually that you know when you give birth you really have this huge release of oxytocin so you're like feeling great and a lot of people get postnatal depression or anxiety really early on and often Mm -hmm. it's because of complications that you know maybe their newborn whether it's like their newborn's got illnesses or they're in ICU or whatever it is so that's obviously like a really stressful time yeah but lots of people enjoy this newborn bubble and then when the baby gets to around four months and they don't just like sleep for most of the day but they can't really do much and they need you all the time and the exhaustion hits if you're not sleeping like it I feel like it all catches up with you and for me I think you know as all our lives changed in a pandemic like I was a DJ before the pandemic and Mm. I was single like I'd only been with Tom for a few months before the pandemic and I was like going around the world with friends working traveling on tv like doing all of this stuff and it was more that when I've got to around four months and the world opened up again. I was a bit like, hang on a minute. It's almost like everyone had stopped. And then when (sighs) life kind of went back to normal, my life really hadn't gone back to normal. And a lot of my friends were going back off out DJing, whereas I was like breastfeeding a baby. And, you know, there was just like a combination of factors that, i then like start to really struggle with my identity and i felt really bad because i was so like blessed and lucky to have like this great baby who is like by all accounts like a pretty easygoing baby mm-hmm. but it was more that i'm i i did not know who i was anymore and i missed me and interestingly so i think i i saw stats that say one in 10 women um suffer with like mental health within pregnancy or the first year the perinatal baby period but, yeah with um the pandemic i think that was like t- times sixfold or something but I think I misunderstood a lot about because I think the term postnatal depression is it's really important and it's good that it's talked about a lot but it's also the presumption is that if you're struggling oh she must have postnatal depression but I think a lot of it is like the huge life change and adaption that you have to go through to be a parent and mm-hmm. that kind of realization that there are no days off you know like if you go to work you relax in the evening you relax on the weekend like you know whatever you have that respite time yeah with parents it's so permanent like even when you're ill I remember when I had covid and I was like obviously having to still breastfeed and keep a baby alive and keep a baby entertained and I was like don't I even get a day off <laughs> when I'm ill I think probably yes I had postnatal depression but I think actually like there's a term that I found loads of comfort in called mattress sense, which is like becoming a mum. And I don't think you can be prepared for that difficulty of that transition, especially when society has progressed so much since, say, for example, the 1950s. But I also think it's put an even more enormous pressure on, on women and on mums because we have like the luxury of being able to have a career still if we want one. But the societal expectation is still that the mum should be doing everything you know Mm -hmm. like I always joke with Tommy like dad's appraised for doing like the bare minimum Uh, I was like three weeks postpartum and Tommy picked the baby up out of the pram and a woman came up being like oh it's so nice to see a hands-on dad (laughs) and I remember thinking hang on like number one like biologically he's stronger than me so really if someone was going to be picking up a baby like it would make sense that it's him but also like I had stitches I, I was, like, still sore from childbirth. But if I'd have, like, been picking up a baby, nobody would even bat an eyelid. And even last night, I had a work event, and people were like, oh, who's looking after the baby? And I was like, "His dad, the other parent, yeah. the, the other 50%. And so I think, you know, there is enormous pressure, more so than ever, probably, on women that we are expected to still be doing it all, really, yeah. but also whilst trying to sustain careers if we want to
0: do you think zooming out that there should be more psychological support for women within that perinatal period
1: yeah and also physical support because you know in lots of countries like france switzerland they get six weeks of um physiotherapy after childbirth and like you know it was so traumatic i think I, I've got friends that have had C sections. I had a vaginal birth, and you know, it's it's hugely traumatic to know that you've got stitches in such a like intimate area, and nobody checks. Like any operation I've ever had, mm. there's somebody that's come out to check my stitches. Like whether you have a C section or whether you have um, a vaginal birth, like nobody checks, and so you're kind of like you know you do this six week check where they basically ask about your mental health and ask you about contraception. And I was a bit like, when they asked me about contraception, I was like, well, I don't know if I'm even stitched back together. So that's probably the only contraception I need right now. The physical has such an impact on your mental state as well because if you're suffering with things like incontinence and prolapse Mm. and there's that fear of like oh my god is my body broken will I ever be myself again Mm. and how can you feel like sexy and confident when you don't even know if you can like walk your baby to the park without having like a really embarrassing episode yeah And also I think we need to change this idea that you're like back to normal after six weeks, because I had that expectation that I'd be back to exercise and back to Mm. work and back to seeing my friends. And it's just not like that. And, you know, people talk a lot about the fourth trimester, which I think is like the 12 weeks after childbirth, but I struggled right up until a year. And if anything, my fourth trimester was great. And it was actually after that period that I really struggled and I felt like everybody kind of expected me to have got the hang of it and gotten with it by then whereas at the beginning more people were checking in like are you okay here's some cooked meals you know i've mm-hmm. I bought this for you have a nap whereas then you know 10 11 months in like nobody seemed to like ask or like they just presume that you're you're you've got it figured out by yeah. then
0: yeah and when you were like a new mom. Do you sometimes feel like, because the emphasis is on the, the new arrival to the family, isn't it? So then it's kind of, does that kind of feel a bit isolating sometimes as well? Because it's like, in, in terms of like your loved ones, it's like they all want to meet the new arrival, they all want cuddles, and then you're kind of left there. And like you said, you're going through all these physical problems and and then all the attention is on the kid.
1: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And like, I also think there's like an element that the moment you become pregnant people offer you their advice and you don't have that in any other part of adulthood you know if Mm -hmm. I if I say like oh I'm gonna go traveling you don't like on your way to the airport get greeted by a hundred people who's like by the way my friend knows someone that had a crash on the plane by the way just letting you know like if you go to this place my friend got robbed and by the time you get to the airport you'd be like terrified and I feel like that's a bit like pregnancy and motherhood like everybody wants to tell you their hard bits or their advice And so it's quite overwhelming and suffocating. And then, yeah, like once you have the baby, it's very much like, oh, how's Al? Even like I said last night, people being like, oh, where's the baby? And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm still here and I'm still allowed out and I'm still allowed to do what I do. Or is this even like idea of like, once you're a mum, you're not allowed to dress the same way. You know, you're a mum mm-hmm. now, you're not allowed to behave the same way. And I think it's really interesting. Like even that idea that, you know, you you become a mum through sex but once you become a mum you're almost expected to be like maternal and virginal mm-hmm. and you should behave in a certain way that's different to the you that you were before
0: right yeah M- mother earth I know that you've talked um a lot about like keeping your own identity and you're more than just like a vessel for the child right and, and, yeah. and having having so many followers on social media and i I think it was a while ago you you did a post and you actually shared some horrible comments, I think predominantly from guys when it was in regards to, I think it was actually going back to talking about choice, having children or not, but like, of course, there's pros and cons with social media and like being in the the public eye, but that must have been an added layer of pressure in terms of like, yes, you're a mum, but yeah, you're still you. And you were a dj before you were do you know what i mean
1: yeah and i think um they're like the judgment and the weird comments which to be honest yes you get online but it's also offline you know like i've had experiences where i've been breastfeeding and you know I, people have like asked me to go to the to the loo or you know obviously online you you're called an attention seeker um, or you're told that it's this intimate, private thing. And actually, why is it OK for, for example, men to walk around the park topless when it's sunny, but it's not OK for a woman to feed a child? Mm-hmm. And it's such a hard thing because I feel like boobs have been so over that we're not even allowed to, to do the, what nature intended with them. Yeah. And why should we be expected to feed our child in the toilet? Like, we wouldn't eat our dinner in the toilet, and we wouldn't be expected to. And why is it disgusting and why is it intimate and why is it private? Like it's not a, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not sexual. So why is it considered intimate? Like this special thing between you and your baby, it's not, it's food. Mm -hmm. If a bottle isn't intimate, then boobs aren't intimate Mm because that's what it is. It's feeding. And I wish people were like all better educated in knowing how much time breastfeeding takes and how um, often you have to do it and how unpredictable it is and um, you know I, I actually breastfed on the Jeremy Vine show and that wasn't mm. planned and I was invited to go on obviously I don't get maternity leave but I didn't want to also like miss up on miss out on opportunities um, just because I'd cu- become a mum so Tommy kind of took the morning off and we had Alf in the green room and I fed him just before going live and then he needed feeding so it's like do I because some people out there think that it's attention-seeking or that my boobs should be covered up. Should I therefore let my child go hungry because he doesn't understand that some people out there don't like the way he's fed or do Mm. I feed? And like, it should be as normal as bottle feeding. And um, it's, I think it all comes back to this sort of like policing and judgment on women's bodies. And I realized that it wasn't so much breastfeeding because like I mentioned earlier, like I've faced comments around my boobs ever since I was 13 like the messaging always was cover up it's attention seeking you will distract boys but actually why why can't we teach boys not to get distracted or not to see <laughs> women as objects and I think all of that plays a big part in like your sort of self-esteem and that kind of new mum identity
0: yeah because psychologically like if you are blessed with big boobs. I mean, yeah, you could try and lose a bunch Uh, of weight. Depending
1: how you look at it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But like, it's not something that's like an easy fix, is it? You know. So it's like it's just you get given what you get given genetically. It's not like we'd be looking at say men's trousers and 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 you know objectifying in that way. It's a good point. Uh, So you so you breastfed live on Jeremy Kyle. Uh, jo- Jeremy
1: sorry. Vine. Jeremy <laughs> Vine. Oh,
0: Jeremy Kyle <laughs> I was on. <laughs> yeah, um, and and did you face any kind of backlash from that?
1: Yeah, of course. There was like so much criticism saying that I was attention-seeking and using my child for attention. And it's like, how? Even let's say if that's what I wanted, I was like, I'm going to prove a point about breastfeeding. I'm going to go on TV and hopefully the press will all love it and I'll get really famous from it. How would I ma- manage to, like, create this plan with my baby? Like, I was, yeah. I think, about <laughs> four or five months old. It's not like I could be like, right, Alf, I'm going to wake up while I'm on air. I'm on air for these, these 10 minutes before the ad break. Right. So, of course, it's it's silly. And it, you know, I, I feel bad that before I became a mum, I didn't, I think, understand the time breastfeeding took, the mm-hmm. the pain that you go through with mm-hmm. breastfeeding, like the also, the worry, like, nobody wants to be judged. I spent my whole life being told to cover up and suddenly I'm like, wait, so now I have to wear clothes that are revealing enough that I can get my boob out really easily but not too revealing that I look like not like a responsible mom, or that mm. my morals and my sexuality are going to be put into question but I also need to be able to get my boobs out and do it in a way that it's like you, you literally can't win. And I think, you know, mm. new mums don't need that judgment and shame um, mm. on top of everything else that they're going through. And I think if society knew half of like the psychological changes and the identity battles and the struggles like there'd be much less judgment and you know there's loads of things that I said like "Oh, well, when I'm a mum, I'll never do this and I do most of them like you just yeah. I feel like until you're in the situation you just don't know because as much as you might have ideas like your body might have different ideas and your baby might have different ideas and that's whether you choose to breastfeed or bottle feed or what mm. clothes you wear and whether you bounce back or you know you don't know how your childbirth is going to go you don't know what your recovery is going to be like and I just wish that society understood more about the postnatal recovery and didn't just boil it down to weight because like what Mm. what is weight (laughs) Mm.
0: and then what about like juggling you're a working mum like the work-life balance do you do you get mum guilt
1: um, do you know what? I don't get mum guilt, but I did get work guilt because I wanted so much to be working and I didn't know how to do it without neglecting my child. And it took me a long time to sort of get the childcare and stuff in place. I had I had, um, I had work guilt last week when I I again was doing the Jeremy Vine show and it was a, it coincided with Alf getting his one year vaccinations. And I would have mm-hmm. loved to have like taken the morning off to be there for him, but obviously you know not everyone gets to pick and choose. Uh, well, Absolutely. most people don't get to choose their work hours. And um, I re- I feel really fortunate that I can work and that I'm starting to figure out a way that I get to work with, with, you know, still being able to, like, be a mum to Alf. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, apparently 54,000 women every year in the UK have to quit their job to become a mum and not because they want to quit their job because obviously stay-at-home mums, like, personally, I think they don't get enough respect. But because of the costs of child care mm-hmm. um, living wages all of those things and I think that's what's really sad because we're losing so many good women to be to have a family and it, it should be a choice because surely it's better economically to keep these people in the workplace that want to be in the workplace
0: yeah um, and just kind of as we're wrapping things up I just wanted to sort of talk a little bit more about judgment not just men judging women but also women judging women as well and about everything that we've we've like talked about in your words, why is it so wrong, insensitive, and, and harmful to a person?
1: I think because it's such a vulnerable time—pregnancy and becoming a mom—and it's such a unique time. Not everyone is able to breastfeed. Some people don't want to breastfeed, and I think that's also a valid reason. And again, we don't—it's it's none of our business what their reasons are. Like, I know people that haven't wanted to breastfeed because of like history of sexual assault or you know there's so Mm. many valid reasons and so to judge someone based on our own experience it's so ignorant because like babies are all so unique like you know my sister had a baby um three months after me and she tried so hard to breastfeed and she couldn't and Jasper her baby he'd been in hospital for a while and he was given the bottle and he just preferred the bottle and you know whatever people's choices are like a lot of it is down to our bodies down to our babies down to our circumstances I feel like it's almost like a a lottery like every single factor is so unique to you that we can't Mm. possibly judge other people and whether it's like you you're lucky enough to have a partner or whether you're doing it on your own and everyone's salaries are different and everyone's bodies are different and everyone's babies are different and everyone has different care available to them. Some people are lucky enough to have parents near, some people are on their own, some people can have childcare, some people can't. And that's why I just think it's like all you can do is support. And mm-hmm. I also think that's why it's so important not to project things that you find challenging and difficult onto pregnant people because they might not have the same challenges, but they are already probably quite scared about the future and having everyone share negative experiences mm-hmm. is actually like quite unhelpful and anxiety inducing it's just about being supportive because it's so different it's so difficult and we don't know what people are going through
0: yeah it's it's support more and interfere less because the interfering just doesn't stop does it I mean have you had people already saying well when you're having number two because that's yeah. what um at my possible self our director Hannah she's had one and you know, who's still a baby and it's like, well, when you're having number two, it's like it feels like like again, going back to it being about childbearing years, it's like it's just relentless. It never ends.
1: Yeah, it never ends. It's like when are you gonna get a boyfriend or why are you still single? As if it's like yeah, you know, oh, oh, I don't know why I'm still single. I don't know. It's yeah. like there's so many reasons why someone might want not be in a relationship. And then it's like once you're in a relationship when you're getting married, then it's when you're having a baby. And actually it's like it's such an insensitive thing even last night i actually somebody interviewed me and they said when when's number two and I want <laughs> I was like you be careful who you ask that because you actually don't know people's like fertility journeys and also like having one Like if I only ever had alf like that would be a perfect yeah perfect like amount of child. <laughs> yeah
0: right. Yeah I interviewed a band in in Nashville um a country band two front women and they were both had separate like fertility like struggles. I, I remember them telling me the story about this journalist that was like, when you when you having when you having your second or your third one and they'd literally just miscarried.
1: <laughs> yeah it's really hard and I also think by the way that you know going back to the struggle and feeling guilty and being made to feel guilty because so many people aren't able to have children and so yes it's such a blessing to be able to have a child I think we need to also like remember that it's like lots of people I know who have had fertility struggles like one of my friends I mean they they sold their house and spent all their savings on IVF and she has twins now and she's struggling and like is she not allowed to say that she's struggling because she should be grateful because some people can't like
0: mm. we have a le-
1: you know I think it's just really important like and to anyone listening who is struggling like don't feel guilty for how you feel because it is so hard and actually if we worried about every other single person in the world like we wouldn't be able to like complain or find anything hard because there's always 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 like somebody worse off and like allow your feelings like your feelings are valid and always like talk to people and like that's why I love like oversharing on the internet because it Mm. made me feel less alone at a time where I worried that I was on my own with my feelings and the more you open up and communicate the more um you find like common ground with people and the more you realize that actually like what what you're feeling is like totally normal
0: Mm. we're all just doing our best exactly on that note thank you so much this has been fab I really do admire what you're doing and I just think it must be helping so so many women. Kudos to you for using your platform to like speak about this stuff.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: And that, my friends, wraps up another episode of the My Possible Self podcast. Thanks again to Ashley James for taking time out of her busy schedule as a working mum to chat with us about some really personal stuff if you don't already follow my possible self on social media we are at my possible self on instagram and twitter until the next one i've been gabby do take care and bye for now